Good morning. We are grateful for your attendance this morning. I'm going to ask if you have your Bible and you want to be following along with the lesson that you'll be turning, I guess, first of all, to 2 Kings chapter 11. We are going to be looking at a couple of passages this morning as we examine a particular situation or person or however you want to look at it from the Old Testament. We'll be looking at 2 Kings chapter 11 and 12 to begin, but if you're making notes or sort of sticking a, a place in your Bible, maybe a marker to turn to, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 24 as well. 2 Kings 11 and 12 and 2 Chronicles 24. We're thankful again for the good attendance, for those who are able to be back with us, many who have been sick or have been out and who are able to be back with us again. We hope that you can be with us again this evening as we study again, uh, and we're going to take a look. It's not Mother's Day, but we're going to take a look at the word mother tonight and how it's used in Scripture as part of the study that we've been doing for a while now, looking at different words in the Bible and how they're used, and we hope that you can plan to be back with us at that time. If I were to give you a set of names such as Addison Ray or Zach King, Amanda Cerny or Cameron Dallas, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that most of you have probably never heard of those names before. Maybe some of our young people have, but most of us who are older, I don't know, Jerry was setting the age there for us of what's younger and older, but uh, some of you may know some of those names and some of you may not. If I give you a few others, names like Selena Gomez or Kardashian, they become a little more commonplace in our world, in our society. There's a group of people in today's world that for many of you, if you were to go back in your lifetime, you would think about this situation and you probably never in your life could have imagined what would be going on today. You see, all of those names, and there are many more that could be included, go by the title, maybe, or carry with it, them the job of influencer. And, of course, we usually tag on with that social media influencer. It's tough to really nail down numbers when you go back and do the research and you try to figure out certain things. It's kind of hard to, to get firm numbers because probably some of these things are not reported exactly. But it's guesstimated that some of these folks can make upwards of $60,000 a year just from posting on social media. Now, for many of us, that's more than we make in a year. Now, for others, such as those who carry very famous names like Kardashian or other things, they can make almost a quarter of a million dollars just for one single post. Now, a lot of that involves ads and involves these companies that will pay you money to, to put their name out there. Marketing has been around for a long time. Marketing is not a new phenomenon. But to take it and to turn it into this kind of situation where people can simply by means of their phone or their computer or, of course, doing some traveling and posting of things, can then go and, and share that on social media, can make millions of dollars every year just from, from posting, just from being an influencer, so to speak. Well, influence is not new either when we think about that, and that's really what we want to talk about this morning. It's kind of funny to think as we're going to look at this lesson that influence goes all the way back to the kings and all the way back to the books of the Chronicles. We want to take a look at influence this morning from thinking about these people, to think about this idea, this concept of influence. And of course, we're ultimately going to ask the question, are you an influencer or are you being influenced? I think you know the answer to that in general already, but we're going to take a look at it in particular from this lesson that we're going to talk about this morning. 
If you know your Old Testament history, and we've covered some of these things recently, a year or so ago in some of our Wednesday night Bible classes, but we come in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the chosen people, the nation of Israel, demand a king from God. We remember because we usually point that out and the Bible makes mention specifically that the reason they do that is that they want to be like everyone else. Dare we say they are influenced. They want to be like everybody else so they demand a king and with that begins what we refer to as the United Kingdom. In the United Kingdom there are three kings who each served for 40 years. Of course Saul and then David and then Solomon all reigning for 40 years. We move forward then to 2 Kings, and in 2 Kings chapter 8, or excuse me, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8, then we see that the, the kingdom is going to be divided. It's going to leave Solomon the de- with the death of Solomon, and it's going to be divided, never to really be united again in a sense, but the people are then going to be split, not necessarily in two, not necessarily even, but split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. With that begins the books of the Kings and the books of the Chronicles. And if you've ever read those, there are a lot of amazing stories there as the children of Israel are divided and they're ruled over by these kings. In the northern kingdom of Israel, there are 19 kings and every single one of them is evil. We might even dare say again, influenced. Influenced by people around them to do evil. You move down to the southern kingdom of Judah and it's a tad bit better There's, and this is where we're going to get a little, uh, depending on how you look at numbers tonight, if you've been to many of our lessons and we talk about the Old Testament, we talk about the kings, we talk about the fact that we have to sometimes guess a little bit the exact number of years and things like that, it's real easy to remember the kings of the divided kingdom if you say there are 19 in the north and 19 in the south. The problem with that was in the south, there was one particular lady that we'll get to in just a moment who was commonly referred to as the usurper. She reigned for six years, so some people say there were 19 and 20. When you move to the southern kingdom, whether it's 19 or 20 doesn't exactly matter, but we think about the fact that most were evil, but there were a few that were good. Now, some were good. The ones who are labeled as being good, many of those were not all good. Some of them were bad people who then turned to God. And some of them were, were good, good people who turned bad, and some of them were bad people who then turned good. They go both ways. They have some good in them, but very few of the kings at all have very much good. The divided kingdom is a, a terrible time for many of these people because they are not doing what God wants them to do. And ultimately, that's going to lead to them being carried away into captivity. Now, when we come to 2 Kings chapters 11 and 12, where I ask you to turn to begin, we meet the lady that we referenced just a moment ago. Her name is Ataliah, and she is called the usurper. When we meet Ataliah, she is not a very nice woman, and that's just putting it kindly. But you know what? It's really not to be expected, or it's, it's kind of expected, I guess, for her to be that way. It's true that no one is completely just, that no one can ever get above their raising, You know, there are some people who have parents who are not very good parents, and yet they turn out to be good and faithful people. So that is possible. But, of course, they kind of start behind, right? They've got parents who are not doing what God wants them to do, and so they're they're kind of starting behind everybody else. Well, Atalai is truly in that category because her parents are Ahab and Jezebel. You see, if you've got two evil parents, that's not a good start, and chances are you can become good through that, 
but chances are probably more likely that you're going to turn out bad as well. And that's exactly who Ataliah is. Now, again, if you think about the kings of the southern kingdom, some would say that there were 19 and do not count her because she was a usurper. Some would say 20 and throw her into the mix there because she did reign for about six years. Why is she called the usurper? Well, if you're there in 2 Kings, you can go back to chapter 9 and verse number 27, 2 Kings 9 and verse number 27, and you would notice and find in that particular verse that one of her sons or her son is killed. His life is taken. Now, again, I think it may have been Charles this morning, our class here in the auditorium that mentioned it, but when you go through the, the lineage, through the stories of the kings, it's quite often the case that there's a lot of bloodshed, there's a lot of killing, and for someone or some family to take power, then someone else has, or someone else's family has to lose their life. And that is the case here. She is involved among the kings and the queens and the kingdoms here. And when her son, his life is taken, her being of evil ways is going to take matters into her, her own hand, her own hands. Just how evil is she, though? Well, when we come to 2 Kings chapter 11. The Bible says, verse number 1, when Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. Now, if you read over that, it's very easy to open your Bible and read this particular account or read the book of 2 Kings, and you fly right through that, and you don't think anything else about it. But if she's killing the royal heirs, and she herself is a part of the royal family, she is an evil, evil woman because she is killing her own grandchildren. That's what's taking place here. She is so upset and so evil that when her son is killed, then she arises and she goes and seeks out her grandchildren and takes their lives so that she can be the one who is going to reign. Now, some of you are grandparents. Some of you may be grandparents in the future. But regardless of your status in that kind of way, you understand the concept there you realize that that is about as evil as you can get, taking the lives of your own grandchildren. But when we come to verse number two, we meet the second person that we're going to talk about in our story this morning or the account that we're reading, and that is Joash. Joash is the other boy king of Judah. Why do we say it that way? If I ask you who the boy king was, who do we commonly think of? Josiah, right? Josiah was eight years old when he became king. But Joash is actually seven years old when he's going to become king. And we notice here in 2 Kings 11, in verse number 2, But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Ataliah so that he was not killed. Notice verse 3. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Ataliah reigned over the land. And it says in verse number four, then we'll go ahead and make mention of it. In the seventh year, Jehodia sent and brought the captains of the hundreds, captains of hundreds, and they are going to crown Joash king of Judah. So again, let's take the picture here, try to understand Joash is just a baby. When his grandmother is going around seeking everyone else, all of his, his family to kill, that she gets everybody else but him. Now, there's some debate, and we could question whether or not she knew he existed or whether or not she spent more time trying to find him. We don't get the story here, whether she knew he existed and couldn't find him and finally gave up or whether she wasn't aware of his existence. But either way, he stays hidden 
here, and he is going to then live for about six years while she reigns as usurper, as queen, I guess we could say, until Jehoiada, Jehoiada is going to come along, and then they're going to crown him king. He is the other boy king because he's going to reign at the age of seven, and he's going to reign, I believe, for, or for 40 years. Well, when we think about Joash, we've already mentioned one other per person here in verse number two. And it's worth mentioning that Jehoshaphat is his savior, yes, because verse three, excuse me, verse two says that she takes him and hides him away. But if you were reading between the lines, or really just reading there and putting all of the family together, I started to put a, a family tree up here so that we could kind of keep it all straight. But she is also his aunt. She is also his aunt, and she is also his savior. Because she is going to take him and his nurse and hide them away so that he was not killed. Importantly as well to notice keeping that bloodline alive as well. She serves as his aunt. She serves as his savior. But she also carries with her a different role here. And that is meeting our fourth person or fourth, fourth character that we're going to talk about here. And that is Jehoiada. Jehoiada is the priest at the time. And to go ahead and tell you where we're headed with this, to come back to the beginning... He is also an influencer. Now we're going to see that as we kind of talk a little bit more about the story here. And then we're going to come back and make some application as we think about this idea of influencing and exactly the kind of influence that Jehoiada carried with him. He is the priest. Notice if you were paying attention there again in verse number two, it gets a little twisted because his wife is Jehoshaphat. So several of them are involved in this and have something to do with Joash and his going to be serving as king. When we think about what takes place here, just to, before we make some application, kind of carry, carry the story out a little further. If you're still there in 2 Kings chapter 11, there's a great account where Joash is going to be crowned king. But what Jehoiada does is realizing that he's coming of age in a sense. Uh, most of us would agree seven years old is not ready to reign totally, I think we would understand. But they're going to bring him out. In verse 4, we read that Jehoiada is going to bring the captains of hundreds. And, of course, they gather around. He's probably saying, I wonder why, you're wondering why I called you here. And he breaks them up into thirds. There in verse number 5 and verse number 6. And he's going to have them stand watch because he knows, he knows who they are up against in the person of Ataliah. He's, they're going to stand watch in different sections, going to spread them out and have them waiting and pre being prepared. And then they're going to crown him as king. And in verse number 12 there of 2 Kings 11, the escort stood every man with his weapons. That's verse 11. And verse 12, he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. Now, it appears, based upon the reading of Scripture here, that in verse number 13, that sound is loud enough that Ataliah hears it and comes running and wants to know what's going on. And as she does, then, she wants to try to kill him, but they are going to take her life. They seize her in verse number 16, and then she is going to be killed because of her many evil deeds. Joash is going to reign as king. If you notice there in, in chapter 12, if you're in 2 Kings chapter 12, notice that your Bible may say Jehoash, J-E-H, 
O-A-S-H. This is the same person. It's worth noting of that for our time to make mention of that. It could be that he changed his name. You know, some people, you think about maybe a little boy, maybe when he's young, he goes by the name Timmy. Everybody calls him Timmy, right? And he gets all, he says, I'm not Timmy anymore. I want to be Tim. That's, that's my name. It could be that he changes his name a little bit as he gets older. Uh, it could be maybe that, that uh, there's some other things that are going on here, but that is the same person that we are talking about here. Notice at the end of chapter 11, he was seven years old when he became king. He's going to reign 40 years, chapter 12 and verse 1. Verse 2, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Verse 3, but the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrifice and burn incense on the high places. But there's also a problem here beginning in verse number 4. We don't have time to read all the verses, but you would notice that the temple or that the, the temple has been in disarray. You think about Ataliah, she is not in any form or fashion trying to do what God wants her to do or what she should do for God's people. So the temple has some problems here. It's in disarray, and so Jehoash or Joash is going to begin with Jehoiada to raise some money. They're going to put a box out there in verse number 9, a chest. They're going to have people put money into that, and that money is then going to be taken, and it's going to be put back to use in order to restore or repair the temple. Now, for the sake of our continuity here, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to go ahead and turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. 2 Chronicles chapter 24, because you're going to see the same account here. And usually, if you're interested in going back and reading this in more detail yourself, either this afternoon or sometime this week, you will often notice that in both the Kings and the Chronicles, they will refer to one another. They will say things at the end of certain sections that say, are these things of this particular person not written in the books of the Kings or the books of the Chronicles? So yes, there is overlap here. In the Second Chronicles chapter 24, we read about Joash re repairing or restoring the temple. We come to verse 14, when the, excuse me, when they finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. They made from it articles for the house of the Lord, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Verse 15, but life, but life happens. Jehoiada grows old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. Miss Billy was telling me that her uh, aunt, that's 108, is back in the hospital again in California, I believe it is, not doing well. 108. Here, here Jehoiada is going to live to be 130. And verse 16, they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Verse 17, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, Joash, and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Now you go down to verse number 23 and there Joash is going to be killed. In the spring of that year the army of Syria comes up against him, verse 23, and they're going to destroy the people. They're not going to take his life. He's going to withdraw, severely wounded in verse 25, and his own servants... Joash, his own servants, conspire against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. And notice, this would be a good place to stop and we'll make some application. So he died and they buried him in the city of David, 
but, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Now, when we think about this account, we, we read a lot of it. We, we kind of jumped over one particular section that we'll come back to in just a moment. But there's a lot that could be learned about jo- from Joash and Jehoiada and these other people that we talked about. And I think we can make some application. Influence is part of that. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But let's think about a few other things that we've kind of already mentioned. Some lessons for us. First of all, we should commit to God. There's no doubt about that. Hopefully you're here this morning because you're considering that. If you're not already doing that, you're thinking about being committed to God. You're here because you are committed to God. But we must also recognize that we must totally commit. Do you remember in 2 Kings chapter 12 that we read about him repairing the temple, the beginning of his reign, Joash? It said that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 2. But verse 3, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. High places, if you know your history, is one of those kind of broad terms to mean not what God has prescribed, not what God has told them to do. Basically, worshiping or offering incense or or sacrifices to idols, to Baal, to all these other gods. You see, it seems that Joash committed to God, at least somewhat. But he didn't stay that way. He wasn't totally committed. And when you think about these things that we share from time to time in these lessons, these applications that we make when we have services here and we have these sermons, we talk about the overarching themes of the Bible. Yes, the Old Testament had sacrifices. Yes, the New Testament has baptism. Yes, they were required to do certain things. We are required to do, certain, to do other things. But one thing is for sure, throughout all of Scripture, God has wanted total commitment from his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse number 5, what's commonly referred to as the Shema or Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God. How does it go there? With all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. It's a small word, but it encompasses this idea that, yes, we should commit, but we should totally and wholly commit to God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We talked about this last Sunday night in our Book of the Month Club. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I think about the words of Jesus even moving forward to the New Testament. In Luke chapter 9 and verse number 62, Jesus would say, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Nobody that says, well, yeah, I think I want to follow you, but I got all these other things that are going on, all these other things I need to do. I'll find time for you when I can find time for you, is fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 21, Jesus talking with the rich young ruler says, go and sell essentially all, all your possessions, everything you have, go and sell it, but don't miss the rest of it. Come and follow me. Do you think Jesus is saying, well, you know what, just just keep what you got. Uh, just just kind of, if you want to just do half of it, it just, it's all right. I mean, follow me when you can, you know, in your downtime, when you're not that busy. Or is the statement simply, come and follow after me, implied within it. Implied within it because we see Jesus say it in other places, I want everything that you have. Come unto me and follow after me. We should commit to God, but we must totally commit 
to him. And it seems that we can learn the lesson from Joash that yes, it is great, absolutely great to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. But if you don't get rid of everything, if you don't get rid of all the things and you try to half do it, you can't do it. Jesus would say as well, speaking more of riches, but I think the principle is true, you cannot serve God and mammon. I mean, that's true of money, that's true of riches, but it is true of serving God. You can't do both. You can't have one foot on on one side of the fence and one foot on the other side. We must totally commit to him. Joash does not do that, and then he's going to find trouble. Not only do the people continue, as it said there in 2 Kings chapter 12, but we see, as we read just a moment ago in 2 Chronicles 24, that when other people come in, they're going to go back to what they know. They're going to go back to serving the wooden images and serving the idols. Number two, sort of in connection, but we can make outward changes, but what matters is truly changing our heart. I mean, you can dress up a pig, right? We say things like that. You can put lipstick on a pig, right? You, you can, you can make, we can make ourselves look better. And I'll even go a step further, and I think you know it's true. But you can even walk in this building. We ask for you to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for all of our services. The elders set those times for the church at Saudi to meet, and we want you to be here. But you can come here. You can come here every time and sit in the pew and not get a thing. Not encourage anyone. You can walk right out and live the way that you want to live. And you've never once considered changing your heart. You remember David in Psalm 51 in verse number 10. We sing it a lot. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. You remember David is crying out at that point because of the trouble that he has done. The trouble that he has caused with Bathsheba and as well with Uriah. He has caused thee trouble. And he says, create in me a clean heart. Change my heart. Because Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, again a proverb, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I mean, keep my cholesterol good, keep my body in shape, or keep my heart with all diligence. Because out of it, that's where life comes from. That's where good and bad comes from. We can dress up. We can even wear a mask as we think about hypocrisy and the idea of being a hypocrite, which is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. Hypocrites. There's an exclamation mark in my Bible. I don't know exactly what that means for sure that Jesus did there, but I imagine him with great anguish and anger almost yelling at those scribes and Pharisees who are questioning him. You hypocrites, you mask wearers, you two-faced people, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but what really matters? Their heart. But your heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We can make lots of outward changes. A king, a president, an elder, a Christian, anyone can make lots of outward changes to look good, but it's about our heart. Joash did some good things. He seemed to be doing what was right in some ways on the outside, but it also seems like his heart was never totally committed or changed because we see there in 2 Chronicles 24 that once Jehoiada dies and other people come calling, he goes right away. That heart wasn't changed, so it was real easy when they come talking to him and sharing these other things that he just says, yeah, that's fine, I'll go with you guys. 
I'll forsake doing what's right in the sight of the Lord, and we'll serve these wooden images. It's not a big deal. Because he never truly changed his heart. That's a great lesson for us even in 2021. And then finally, back to our title, back to our lesson that we're making, we will be influenced. We are influenced. I look around this room, and all of us, I mean, everybody here is wearing something to some extent because of influence, right? Maybe you saw it on a commercial. Maybe you saw somebody else wearing it. Maybe you thought it looked good. Maybe it's the marketing, but we're all doing something. Maybe it's the hairstyle we have because somebody was doing that, and we might have thought, hey, that's, that's kind of neat. I'd like to wear that. I'd like to look that way. I'm influenced. It's not a problem. It's not always a big deal, but we will be influenced. So we must keep godly influences. Do you recall from the story? We kind of touched over it a few times. We kind of passed by it. But in 2 Kings chapter 12, it says that Jehoash or Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord when? As long as he was alive, as long as it felt good, what does it say? All the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Seems like Joash did some good things, but there was somebody behind him who was helping him. The repairs of the temple was carried out by Joash, but also by Jehoiada. We notice that in verse number 15 of 2 Chronicles 24, that Jehoiada dies. They bury him in the city of David among the kings because of what he has done. And the king then immediately turns and listens to other people. He was influenced. His godly influence died, and next thing you know, he's turned away, and the people have turned away. Not only that, but the little part that we skipped over in 2 Chronicles 24 is that as they are turning away, or as they have turned away, in verse number 20, the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and calls them out. Still trying to serve God, he says, you are wrong for turning to these wooden images. You are wrong for turning to these idols. And it says in verse 21 that they conspired against Zechariah, Jehoiada's son, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. In verse 22, it's one of those verses of awful sadness that's hard to even read. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. Joash is like a lot of us. We are influenced. We're influenced by what we wear. We're influenced by what we say. We're influenced by where we go. And everything in our life is influenced in some form or fashion. That is not all bad. Where we go on vacation, that may be okay. Somebody suggested we're kind of influenced to go that way. You know, what we eat for supper, this is a good meal, you should try that. Lots of decisions we make are influenced, and it's not a problem. We will be influenced, but we must do our best to strive to keep our influences godly. Joash was doing what was right, but only because Jehoiada was right there encouraging him, helping him. Because as soon as he's gone, he turns his back on God on what he knows, and ultimately kills the son of the priest. How awful 
to think that somebody could go from one way to the other so fast. But have you seen it in your life? Have you been that way before? When we think about other passages that remind us of this, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer him. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16, the Sermon on the Mount reminds us that we are to be salt and light. Can we sum that up in one word? We're to be an influencer. We're to influence people. We will be influenced. We should keep our influences godly, and we should be godly influences to others. That's the way it has to be if we want to be faithful to God. And when we look back, even as someone like Joash and Jehoiada, we can understand that it's something that we must continually strive to do. Joash was a good king, but he turned out bad because he lost his godly influence. As we conclude this lesson this morning, we're about to sing this song of encouragement to encourage you that through its words, if you need to make a change, you would consider doing so. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a child of God. You need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. As we have said several times here lately, all things are ready, and we're thankful for that opportunity. If you want to know more, we would study with you this day. We would study with you this week. There are so many folks that all it takes is a text message, a phone call, or something, questions to be asked, and we would love to encourage you by studying what the Bible has to say about God's simple plan of salvation. But if you're here this morning and you're interested in that, we would love to assist you in becoming a child of God so that the Lord can add you to his church and you can begin to live faithfully. Maybe you're here and you've done that in times past. As a Christian, though, you've wandered away. You've allowed your influence to, to not be so godly. Maybe your influence to not be so godly towards others. Or maybe you've allowed other influences to come into your life and lead you away from a faithful life to God. We're thankful that God extends to us a second law pardon, that we can confess our sins and pray to him for forgiveness, and he is willing to do just that. You see, we are assembled together here as a body this morning to worship God, to praise him, and to encourage one another. If we can encourage you to become a Christian or come back to God, we would love to do so even now as we stand together and as we sing.